Thank you for, I'm just so thankful for your word. Uh, thank you that we get um, your word from the New Testament, and we get your word from the Old Testament, and we're confident that uh, you have um, overseen and uh, made sure that it came out exactly as you wanted from the first part of Genesis to the last part of Revelation. Uh, thank you for your word. Thank you for deciding to communicate with us, for preserving and protecting your word that we would know who you are and what you've said uh, so that we could walk in it. So thank you for your word. We love it and we love you for thinking of us and giving it to us. And we pray that your spirit would lead us and guide us into your word, into your truth tonight, uh, because your word is truth. Would you lead us there and have each one tonight come away with uh, a whisper from you about how this lesson applies to their life. I pray for that, please, in Jesus' name. Amen. Second Samuel, still talking about the monarchy. Hopefully you noticed that. Uh, let's see. What do I want to do? Ah, oh yeah, okay. When you read, okay, so last week, Second Samuel 7, that's one of your big chapters, right? Okay, so we have, let's, let's name some of the big chapters. Okay, Genesis 12, 15, if you want to throw in 17, you can throw in 17, 12, 15, 17, all dealing with the, which had three promises, and there are three characteristics about that covenant that all started with a U, unilateral, unconditional, Unending. Excellent. Next big chapter. Exodus 20, because that's the giving of the law or the Mosaic covenant. Okay? Next big chapter. Exodus 40, because that's when God comes to dwell with his people. What was the next big chapter? Deuteronomy 28 through 30, because that teaches us how God deals with people all the way through the rest of the Old Testament, which is the obedient are blessed, the disobedient are disciplined with uh, disease, disaster, death, and deportation. <laughs> oh, all Ds. Ba-boom. <laughs> maybe I've done it before, so I, maybe I knew those Ds. Okay. Next big chapter, 2 Samuel. Samuel 7, which is the Davidic covenant, the Davidic covenant. We got land, we got seed, we got blessing. And so the seed promise is amplified in 2 Samuel 7, the covenant to David, where David wanted to build a house for God, and God said, no, tell you what I'm going to do, though, I'm going to build you a house. And so David has just received this amazing promise from God that God is going to build him a house, an eternal house of kings in his dynasty. And one king in particular will come from his line, the Messiah, who will rule Israel. And they, all the rest of the way through the Old Testament, are going to be looking for this particular king to come along. He doesn't come in the Old Testament, but he does come. So chapter 8, we pick up in 2 Samuel 8. We're picking up 
just after the giving, God giving David the Davidic covenant. So chapter 8. After this, David defeated and subdued the Philistines. And we learn about the Philistines. David also conquered the land of Moab. Go down to verse 3. He fights Hadadezer. That one will be on the final. <laughs> verse 5, he fights the Arameans. And so at the end of verse 6, so the Lord made David victorious wherever he went. Now he brings some gold shields. There's a king who's pretty happy that David beat up his enemy. So he sends gifts. Uh, king David dedicates all these gifts to the Lord. Verse 11 uh, the other nations he defeated, Edom, Moab, Ammon, Philistia, and Amalek, and from Hadadezer, son of Rehob, king of Zobah. I kind of, you know, every once in a while, don't you wish you kind of like, I, Bill from Zobah. That'd be cool. That'd be fun. So David, verse 13, became very famous. And after his return, he takes care of some Edomites, the Edomites become his subjects. In fact, the end of verse 14, in fact, the Lord made David victorious wherever he went. So David reigned over all Israel and did what was just and right for all his people. And then that we have a list of leaders. And some of you want to know, why did David's sons serve as priests or priestly leaders? Well... You had a cross-reference of 1 Chronicles 18, and there it says they were probably more like chief leaders. In other words, they were uh, part of David's cabinet. They probably weren't priests or priestly leaders. They were probably chief mm, administrators in David's kingdom. That's probably what that means. So that's chapter 8. So what's David doing in chapter 8? Fighting a lot of battles and winning. <laughs> and, and all the treasure he gets, he dedicates to the Lord. He, he doesn't say, yay me. He dedicates it to the Lord. Okay. In all of this, we're being given a very simple picture of this. A man after God's own heart. That's what 8, 9, and 10 are about. This is a man after God's own heart heart. David is walking in faith, victory, and blessing. Because what does he do in chapter 9? Right? He fights a bunch of battles, and then what does he do? He wants to show kindness to Jonathan, and he finds out about Mephibosheth. Say it with me. Mephibosheth. That will be on the final for sure, and you'll have to spell it. He wants to be kind to Jonathan. Remember Jonathan, his pal, Saul's son? He wants to be kind to Jonathan, and so he finds out Mephibosheth is still alive, and so he does kind things for Jonathan. He does them for Mephibosheth. He even brings him into his own table, like one of the king's own sons. And then chapter 10 um, uh, another enemy is upset, and they come to attack, and David and his forces um, fight and send the enemy fleeing. And after that, 
Uh, it says at the end of chapter 10, after that, the Arameans were afraid to help the Ammonites. Yay! Now, David had sent his forces, right? But in verse 17, giving you some big context before we hit this, before we hit the lesson. In 17, David heard what was happening. He mobilizes all Israel. He crossed the Jordan and led the army to Helam. You need to know that this was one of David's last battles. You don't know that from Samuel. There's a cross-reference. If you've ever looked it up, David is actually, um, he's not captured. He's uh, some relatives of Goliath. Grab him, and they're going to kill him. And it takes two or three of David's guys to come kill this relative of Goliath's. So they rescue David from certain death, probably in this battle. Does that begin to explain to you chapter 11? In the spring of the year when kings normally go out to war, but if you've been declared too valuable to go to war, what do you have to do? You have to stay home. Now, where should you be? It doesn't matter. You should be out on the battlefield. But because the nation has said, whoa, we almost lost you, you're staying home. Hmm. Time when kings go off to war. You get a little bored, you start walking around the top of your palace. This is the context for what's happening. We have this little interlude in 8, 9, and 10. He's coming off this wonderful promise and blessing from God, and he's about to step over into the dark side. So 8, 9, and 10, we have this wonderful picture of a man after God's own heart. He's walking in faith, victory, and blessing. He's establishing the peace, safety, and security of Israel by conquering her enemies on every front. He's a man of integrity, keeping his word to Jonathan through Mephibosheth. He's using his power and influence for good. David is a man after God's own heart. You say, what does it mean? We always hear, David is a man after God's own heart. David's a man after God's own heart. What does that mean? 8, 9, and 10 tell us what this means. We're going to flesh out what does it mean to be a man or a woman after God's own heart. Ready? Here it comes. Tonight's lesson, walking as a man or woman after God's own heart. Now, usually what I do, usually what I do is I give you the Old Testament story, and then we go over and we start doing some application. This time I'm changing it up, keep you interested, and we're going to do it a section at a time. So I'm going to cover the story, and then we're going to make application. And we're going to cover some more story, and then more application. Okay? I'm just flipping it around. You'll follow it. You'll have no problem following it. But you'll wonder, wait, how come he's not doing it the old way? Because I'm just wild and crazy. That's, remember Bill of Zoba. <laughs> Walking as a man or woman after God's own heart. First thing we learn about someone who's uh, following after God's own heart is David pursued God's promises. So let me give you a little context for chapter 8. God's promises for David. David desired every bit of God's covenant inheritance for himself and his country. And you say, what? What would those have been? 
Genesis chapter 15, 18 through 21. Who has their Bible open? Genesis 15, 18 through 21. Someone else look up Deuteronomy 7, 22. Somebody else look up Joshua 13, 1 through 7. Somebody else look at 2 Samuel 7 to 25. David desired every bit of God's covenant inheritance for himself and his country. Genesis 15, 18 through 21. Who has that? So God tells Abram, here's the borders of your land. It goes from basically the brook of Egypt. It goes from this uh, little river down there to their south up to the Euphrates, which Hadadezer lives on the other side of the Euphrates. So we're talking about he gave him this whole big chunk. Now, had Israel had that whole big chunk yet? No. Remember in Joshua? We're going to get there, but the answer is no. How is the Lord going to give them this land? Deuteronomy 7.22. Who's got that? The Lord your God will clear away these nations before you little by little. What? How? How is the Lord going to clear them away? Little by little. In order that. You may not make an end of them at once. Lest the wild beasts grow too numerous for you. He didn't want them to get too spread out too quickly because the wild beasts would come in and eat them. <laughs> so he says, this whole piece of land is yours. You, know, you haven't conquered it yet. I'm going to give it to you little by little so that you don't get eaten up by all the wild animals. But they've been given this big chunk, little by little. Okay, Joshua 13, 1 through 7. I love the truth of the Bible. <laughs> Wait, stop. He says, this is Joshua. Joshua says, this is the land that yeah, there's still much left to possess. So even in Joshua's day, there's still much to possess. Keep going. This is the land that yet remains. All the regions of the Philistines and all those of the Jezreelites from the Sihor, which is east of Egypt, northward to the boundary of Ekron. It is counted as Canaanite, those of There's land yet to be taken. You heard in there a little bit about the Philistines. You heard all the Philistine towns. You heard about the Arameans or the Ammonites. Those are the people we're fighting. David's fighting tonight. Where do you think he was doing his quiet time? Remember what it says in Deuteronomy? The king was to write down the covenant and have a copy for himself. Do you remember this? You think, how would David know this? 
They're supposed to make a copy of it for themselves. Okay, keep going. 2 Samuel 7.25, you don't have to go very far. You just flip back a page. Who's, who's God talking to? 2 Samuel 7. He's talking to David about him being king over the big part of the land. What's David doing? He's believing God, and he's stepping out in faith. Way back in Genesis, you gave us this. You said you're going to give it to us little by little. Joshua said, we haven't taken it all. Go get it. Right? And then he says, and by the way, Lord, you made me a promise just a few days ago about being king over this whole thing. Here we go. So that's why in chapter 8, after this, David defeated and subdued the Philistines, which are the first people who show up in Joshua. He says, go to all Ekron and Gath and all those places. All of those are Philistine cities. So where does David go? He goes to the Philistine cities. Why? Because God promised his people this stuff. So, David pursued God's promises. What were God's promises for David? Go fight. Go be a warrior. Go claim this land for, uh, under my name. So he stepped out on tiptoe. You know, the, uh, the greatest picture of what it means to be expectant is you're standing on tiptoe. You know, it's like you're looking, it's like you're looking over a crowd. You, you want to see what's going on over there, so you're expectant. You're on tiptoe about this whole thing. That's what David is doing. He's on tiptoe going, whoa, the Lord promised us this whole thing. Little by little, Joshua says, go, we're going to go, and I'm going to be king. Here we go. So David steps out on tiptoe, expectant for what God would do. God said it, David believed it, and he acted on it. He reclaimed lost land, and he secured Israel's borders. He extended the kingdom's influence farther than it had ever been before. Why? Because he believed God's promises. David pursued God's promises. What has God promised us? Are you on tiptoe? Are you on tiptoe for what God has promised you? Here's some examples. His provision. Remember what Matthew 6, 31 to 33 says? Well, if you don't, turn there. This is open book. <laughs> what does Matthew 6, 31 to 33 say? I know, you're paraphrasing it. Go ahead and read it. We'll go ahead and read a lot out of our Bibles tonight. Matthew 6, 31 to 33. 31, 6, 31 to 33. 
Who said that? Jesus. Do you think he's trustworthy? I don't know. Let's go out on a limb here. <laughs> is he trustworthy? What does he say? He says, I know what you need. What, what is he asking us to do first? And then what? What does he say he will do? I know you need all these things. Now, I don't know what package it comes in. I don't know what the timing is. I don't know anything about it. I just know he's promised this to us. Are you on tiptoe for that promise to be fulfilled? And how he fulfills it in your life and how he's fulfilled it in my life will look different. But he will keep his promise. Are you on tiptoe? Waiting for that? Looking forward to that? How about his all things together power? Romans 8, 28. Is that all that verse says? What are all things? <laughs> Thank you for laughing. What are all things? Uh, all things. <laughs> Wait a minute. All things means all things. Does that mean every decision I make? What if I make a bad decision? Do you, do you need to pause right there for a second? Because I need to remind you also of Romans 8.1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What happens if I make a wrong choice? I may have to apologize to the Lord for the wrong choice. But there is therefore now no condemnation. And 8.28, which comes after 8.1, he says, I will use... All things together for good for those who love me and are called according to my purpose. Are you standing on tiptoe for this? There is no condemnation for you. Here's what we do when we come to a big decision. And Cody was talking about this this morning with the, you know, knocking on the doors. What happens? We get angry when the door doesn't open. The other thing we do is we stand here in front of the landscape and we have to make a decision. And what do we want to know? No, we don't. You Christians. <laughs> what do we want to know? How's it going to work out a year from now, five years from now, ten years? Am I making the right choice? Right? What do I want to be in that moment? I want to be God. Guess what he doesn't share with anyone? Can I make a wrong decision with all the great information that's in front of me? Yes. Yes, I can. But there's therefore now no condemnation for me. I'm not God. He doesn't hold me responsible for... I'm not God. He knows that. You're not God, Bill. Quit trying to be me. I gave you information. You can pray. I'll prompt you. Guess what? If you miss it, it's okay. No condemnation. I'll use it together for good some way, somehow. I'm not going to tell you how. <laughs> Do you understand? You need to be free 
We get so wrapped up in some decisions because we're trying to be God and think through all the different implications. Guess how many we'll get right? I'll go say zero. But you might get lucky and get one. We try to be God. Stop trying to be God. I'm not saying don't be wise. I'm not saying don't be thoughtful, don't be prayerful, don't use the brain that he's given you. I am not saying any of that. But at the end of the day, when you're trying to be God and you know when that is, that's when you got to say, whoa, <laughs> I'm not God. And I'm not, held, I'm not being held responsible for being God. I'm only held responsible for it. This is what I know. I've prayed. This is the direction I think God wants me to go. God bless me. I'm going to go in this direction. And what if it turns out that it was wrong later on? No condemnation. Gosh, sorry, Daddy, I should have turned left. I kind of thought it was between left and right, and I went right, but I thought, Bill, it's okay. No condemnation. Guess what? I'm going to use that for good. Who are you that does this? <laughs> Even he takes our mistakes Done in faith. Do you understand what I'm saying? I'm not saying willful things, but you have a genuine decision. You don't know, should I turn left or right? You decide that Lord's prompting in one direction. In 10 years, no, maybe that wasn't the right direction. But guess what? He's going to use it for good. How? I don't know how he does that. It's like he's God or something. <laughs> he works all these things together for good. Is, did, have I made that up? That's what it says, right? Are you standing on tiptoe for that? Are you waiting? This is what someone who's expectantly pursuing God's promises, they're looking, standing on tiptoe in faith. How about every spiritual blessing? Ephesians 1.3. We've talked about this one before. But somebody read it. It's so good. I want somebody to read it. Stop. I know I've pointed out the tenses of that verb before. He has blessed us in the heavenly realms. It's already on account. And your name is on the account already. Are you standing on tiptoe wanting that? Every spiritual blessing, not just one or two, every spiritual blessing it's on account for you. You were given a checkbook and you were written onto the, gosh, some banker, I need help here. Ledger, Ledger no, the, it's, it's like a card you have to sign. A signature card. A signature card. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How about a signature card? <laughs> and you're not even a banker. <laughs> Man, you're amazing. <laughs> Every spiritual blessing. How about this one? Philippians 1.6. Somebody read Philippians 1 6. Who's working in me? I mean, I hope to be cooperating with him from time to time at least. <laughs> Who is always at work in me? What, what does that verse say? And how long is he going to work on that? 
until he gets tired of me? Until the day of Christ Jesus, when I see him in the air, I meet him through the ground. One of the two ways, when I see him again, he's going to finish this off. Not me finish it off. He is at work. What about those days when, you know what, I, I didn't have time for my quiet time today, and things have been a little hectic. In fact, it's been like three days since I've really sat down and read the Bible or prayed or anything. Oh, my gosh. Does... Is God standing here again? Bill, I'd sure like to be working in you today, but I can't because you weren't in the Bible and you didn't pray. If you did, I'd be working, but I'm not because you didn't. Is that what that verse says? But that's what you think, and so do I. That's why he's given us his word and we say, you are always at work when I'm aware of it and even when I'm not. When you want it and even when you don't. He is at work in your mind, heart, life, everything. That's a promise that he's made to you. Bill, I'm at work. You're always under construction. I'm at work. Love it if you'd cooperate with me. <laughs> but even if you don't, I'm going to change you because I'm working. Who is this? Who does this for us? How about this one? Hebrews 13, 5 and 6. What does the Lord say? I might leave you if you really mess up. If you ignore me, not sure I'm going to pay much attention to you. I will never leave you or forsake you. Well, what about those times when you feel like God's not very close? Who's feeling truth and who's not? Am I feeling the truth at that time? It may feel like it. I don't, dis I don't dispute the feeling. I've had the feeling. But is that feeling true? No. I will never leave you or forsake you. It's like all and never, right? You're never supposed to say all and never unless you're God. And then you say, I give you all spiritual blessings and I will never leave you or forsake you. <laughs> and he's trustworthy. And he's true. Is that a promise you want? Is that a promise you're standing on your tiptoes saying, oh, Lord. And you say, I'm, you know, I have to always with the, the man say, Lord, I believe. Help me with my unbelief. And guess what? You may have to say that minute by minute. Five minutes by five minutes. Hour by hour. Day by day. Depending on the situation you're in. Fix your mind on the truth. Our feelings can deceive us from time to time. His companionship. Is that a promise you need? Is that a promise you want? You have it. How about this one? Oh, gosh. 
Hebrews 7.25. What is the writer to the Hebrews talking about? He's talking about Jesus, and he's talking about Jesus' present ministry. We don't talk a lot about Jesus' present ministry. You know what his present ministry is? To pray for you at his Father's right hand, which is the place that the advocate stood. The accuser is on the other side, but the advocate is on the right-hand side. And what's he saying? Daddy, got that one. Taking care of it. Pray for Bill. You know what, Daddy, tomorrow we know he's going to need that. I'm praying that for him tonight while he's asleep. He ever lives to make intercession for you. That's a promise to just say, Lord, I can't pray right now. I don't know what to pray. But whatever Jesus is praying for me right now, I say yes and amen to it. You understand what I'm saying? No? You don't understand what I'm saying? Okay, I hope you do. There are times we don't know how to pray, but Jesus is never at a loss for what to pray for us. And if you don't know what to pray, then say amen to whatever he's praying for you because it will be the best. How about this one? Anyone ever need this? Wisdom. James 1, 5 through 8. Stop. What? What did that just say? This is a promise from God. If any of you lack, now you say, oh, that's been my problem. I haven't been asking for wisdom. I can be God. No, no, no. He is not going to share with you his things. I'm sorry, he's just not going to do it. So get over that, but say, I'm stuck between these two decisions. I need wisdom here. When it comes time for the decision, have you ever had this happen? I know you have, where you just, you sense this is the way to go. You've prayed that, and you just sense this is the way to go. Does that happen to you? Then what do you do? You fall to your knees, and you thank God for answering the prayer, the promise that he made. Oh, no. You're like me, and you forget about it. And you think, my own cleverness came up with this. I prayed, <laughs> and then it came to pass, and I don't even pause to say, thank you, Daddy. Thanks for honoring that promise. <laughs> Way to go. This is the independence we walk in all the time. I do, too. I know you're sinners, but I'm right, I'm at the head of the pack. I need wisdom. We need to pray and ask. These are God's promises. Oh my goodness, we're never going to get through this lesson. What am I doing? Expectantly pursue God's promises. Okay, how do, you, how do you be a man or a woman after God's own heart? Expectantly pursue God's promises. And we've spent a long, good time looking at our Bible at just some examples of promises. Next, uh, in chapter 8... David dealt with the enemies, and in chapter 10, he dealt with the enemies. So he deals decisively with these enemies. Who were the enemies in David's country? Some were old, 
the Philistines, the Amalekites, the Ammonites, the Edomites, the Mosquitoites, they were all there. Some were new, the Arameans, and they came from all over the place. Uh, I gave you a little bit of a map. The Arameans uh, the, from Aram, they're a little bit off the map there, but the Edomites, the Moabites, the Ammonites, you can see the Philistines over there, um, up in Syria and some stuff like that. There's some nasties over there. And to the northeast is the Euphrates. And remember where Hadadezer came from? He's coming from way up to the northeast on that map. And so here, this is where the enemies were. But some were old, some were new. He dealt with them, David dealt with them one at a time. He didn't go attack them all at the same time. He attacked one at a time. He dealt with them on every front. There was north, south, east, and west. Their enemies coming from all those different directions. In chapter 10, though he had the help of Joab and the entire army, he eventually had to engage the enemy personally. Though, the, though he had lots of help, he had to engage the enemy personally at a certain point. You want to be a man or woman after God's own heart, then you have to deal decisively with your enemies. What are the enemies of man's soul? Back to the, you know, imagine your, your uh, body, your, your soul is a country. So what are the enemies of man's soul? Are you dealing with your old enemies? Things like approval, popularity, significance, anger, impatience, um, lack of forgiveness. We could go on and on. Are you dealing with your new enemies? Busyness. Distractions. Oh, there's unforgiveness. Good. How about this one? I just turned to the book I love to hate, uh, Respectable Sins. Just in case any of you don't have a copy of this yet, you need to have a copy. Uh, for nothing else, you can throw it across the room after you read a chapter. Uh, here's a chapter on discontentment. A horrible chapter. <laughs> Any of you discontent with your current circumstances or situation? Absolutely not. Yeah, good, good. Nice Christian answer. Thank you. It's Sunday school answer. Uh, as we approach Thanksgiving, here's another good chapter unthankfulness. Um, there are very few countries on the face of the earth that have more people applying to get into them than we do. If we're so terrible, bad, and awful, why does everyone want to come here? <laughs> How many times in the past mm, week have you thanked God? As messy as this country is, <laughs> as uh, upside down in some ways this country is, how many times have you thanked God for being able to be part of a country where you can worship in complete freedom? You didn't have to sneak here. 
you didn't have to ride in on motorcycles and take 40 minutes to go 10 blocks because you got to make all these other stops first so that no, whoever's following you might be lost and you come to a place and we're not waiting for someone to knock on the back door and arrest us or take our Bibles or anything like that. We have brothers and sisters right now in the majority of the world who are facing those things. Today, on Sunday, that's what they're up against. What do we have? Freedom. Unthankfulness. I hate this chapter, by the way. Unthankfulness. Discontentment. Unthankfulness. We can fall into those things so, so quickly and easily and complain about this freedom or that freedom or whatever. Um, we live in an amazing country, and the world knows it, and they'd like to live here. We have old enemies. We have new enemies. How about this? Have you learned that making treaties with your enemies only leads to humiliation and betrayal? When you make a deal with one of your enemies, I tell you what, anger, you, here's the deal we'll make. You can get angry at that person and that person, but the rest, they're, they're off limits. And guess who the first person you get angry with is? This person who's supposedly off limits. Anytime you try to make a treaty with one of these enemies, an enemy of man's soul, you will be humiliated and betrayed because that enemy does not want to do anything except hurt and destroy you. Are you coming against them one at a time, personally and intentionally in the spirit? Remember, you have no power. You, you cannot gain victory over these sins. There is only one who can. And blessed be the name of the Lord, his spirit lives in us. And he has said, here I am, I'm available. I can be victorious over sin. But you got to look to me, you got to depend on me, you got to ask me, you got to pray my word. Let me do the fighting. It's not, thank you, Spirit of God, you've made me so strong, now I can overcome anger. Nope, doesn't work that way. I'll give you a week. I'll really only give you a day, but I was going to be gracious and give you a week. It won't take longer than a day. You'll find out that scheme doesn't work. The flesh has no power over sin. The only person who can defeat sin is the Holy Spirit of God. He's already at work in us all the time, but to ask him and say, I hate this anger. That's good, Bill. I hate it too. I need you to kill it. I can't kill it. Okay, Bill, what do you find about anger in my word? Remember, it's a chapter in here. He talks to you about anger. He actually has two chapters on it. Each one equally horrible. If you haven't figured it out, by the way, this is a great book. A great book. If you don't have a copy, I encourage you to get it. I own no stock in it. I get no profits off of it. It is just a great book. Um, you, you should read it. 
But are you coming against each of these enemies one at a time, personally and intentionally in the Spirit, one at a time? One at a time. Deal decisively with your enemies. Trust God's promises. Deal decisively with your enemies. David, I love this verse. End of chapter 8, verse 15. So David reigned over all Israel and did what was just and right for all his people. David dealt justly and fairly with all men. And there's some additional reading, but he did deal justly and fairly with all men. He lived to please, in these chapters, in these chapters, he lived to please God first and then men accordingly. He properly used his power and influence for good and for godliness. His God-first lifestyle was recognized by men and honored by God. David dealt justly and fairly with all men. How do we deal with all men? Do we deal with all men justly and fairly without favoritism? How about in our allegiance to the absent? Have you ever heard that phrase? Ever talked about somebody who's not in the room? To someone? What have you just told that person about your trustworthiness? If you'll talk about that person without them in the room, hmm, what are you going to say about me when I'm not in the room? Do we deal with all men justly and fairly without favoritism? Do we live to please God or to please men? Do we use our power and influence for good? Do we live without or with pretense? Are our lives above reproach in private as well as in public? Deal justly and fairly with all men. And finally, David treated men with kindness. How David treated Mephibosheth. What an amazing story. David pursued Mephibosheth in mercy and grace for his father Jonathan's sake. David called Mephibosheth from a place of no inheritance and living in fear to living in the palace with him. David took Mephibosheth into his own family, provided for him, protected him, and treated him as one of his own sons. Is that an amazing story? The son of David pursued us in mercy and grace for his father's sake. The son of David called us from a place of no inheritance and living in fear to living in his palace. The son of David has taken us into his own family, providing for us and protecting us as one of his adopted brothers. This is how David treated Mephibosheth and how God has treated us. How should we treat others? With love and undeserved mercy and grace. You can read Romans 12, 9 through 21 when you get home tonight. Great section of scripture. Are you following hard after God's own heart? Are you, looking for, are you looking toward faith's horizon 
on tiptoe, expectantly pursuing God's promises for yourself each day? Are you dealing decisively with your past and present enemies one at a time? Are you dealing justly and fairly with all men? Are you treating all men with God's kindness with which he's always treated you? Are you? Am I? For next week, read 2 Samuel 11 and 12, this wonderful parenthesis of a man walking in after God's own heart will give way. Selah. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for the example of David. Thank you for these chapters and how they show us what it means to to be a man or a woman who um, is chasing hard after your heart. Uh, We pray that your spirit in us would continue to work, work us and For me, work me over uh, until I become a little more like your son, uh, the Lord Jesus. And Father, in um, knowing where this leads with next week, uh, protect us. It's uh, when we're walking this way that sometimes we can be in the greatest danger. And so we do pray that you would work in us and that your spirit would continue to keep us not fearful, but on guard. Uh, We want to follow hard after you. We want to be known as someone who's pursuing your heart. And would you do that within each one of us by the power of your spirit and through uh, your amazing word. Uh, Lead us and guide us, please. Change us, we ask you. And I pray that this week would be the best week of transformation that we each have had yet and that uh, we will see you working uh, behind the scenes, in the shadows, uh, maybe even right out there in the, in the open. And we would be reminded to thank you and to worship you this week for the good that you're doing within us and through us to all men. We thank you and we love you and we pray for these things, please, in Jesus' name. Amen.